following audio is from Life Journey Church. More information about Life Journey Church is available at www.lifejourneyva.com. Really, I'm thankful to be here this morning and really appreciate the opportunity to come and share. Um, we had a great time yesterday, and if you get a chance to listen to the podcast, I think you'll really enjoy it. I may say a, a few things, and maybe a lot of things that I said yesterday, um, because there's a, somewhat of a different group here, but uh, w- there will be some new things, so it's not going to be all the same thing, of course, but um, just really am excited to be here. It's, um, it's one of the few churches that, uh, that I know of that I will put on my website and recommend anybody who lives in this area to please come and be a part of this church because uh, this, it's, a, it's a, an oasis, I think, of uh, revelation that's coming out of through Walt's leadership that is blessing a lot of people, and more people need to hear what Walt and what you guys are saying and thinking, um, so hopefully it'll grow, and I believe it will because the Lord will add as he sees fit, and I can see it happening. So anyway, I just want to pray briefly, and then we'll get right into it. Lord, we just thank you that you're with us always. Lord, I pray that by your power that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear things that are not of this world. Lord, help us to remember that your thoughts are not our thoughts. Your ways are not our ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are your thoughts and ways different from our ways and thoughts. So we depend on your spirit, Lord. Who can know the thoughts of God but the spirit of God? And the spirit has been given to us that we might know the things that are freely given to us in Christ. The Holy Spirit within each believer is our teacher. For we need no man teach us, but the anointing which abides within us shall lead us into all truth. And we shall abide in you, Lord. Thank you for the reality that you teach us directly. Even though you use the gifts of apostles and prophets, evangelists and shepherds to minister the revelation of the unseen Christ. That we all might come to maturity and be teachers ourselves of others. Thank you, Lord, for this reality. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the open door. Amen. Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven does not come like men think. The kingdom of heaven does not come like men think. Just think about that for a second. However we think the kingdom of heaven was to come, Jesus says, it's probably not how you think. It's really important, I think, to, to start to really grasp, I think, what Jesus has accomplished. It's really important to start with the, a position of, Lord, I don't know, please teach me. Because it is counterintuitive what God did. The natural man thinks it's foolishness. The revelation of grace is just that. It is a revelation. You cannot convince somebody of what God did in Christ. You cannot really talk them into it. It's when the light bulb goes off, it's a revelation. The natural man in and of itself cannot figure it out. It is foolishness to the natural thinking. So it's very important that we humbly come. It's the humility that says, Lord, I don't see like I ought to see. Please open my eyes. Please show me. To that one, Jesus says, you shall see. Jesus said, if you say you see, then you shall be blind. But if you say I am blind, Jesus said, you shall see. It's, it's so different. What God did in Christ is so different that if we don't begin with a humility that says, I am 
blind to a lot that I need to know, then we will miss it. But if we come with humility and say, Lord, teach me. I don't care if I've been in seminary for 20 years. I don't care if I've planted 50 churches. I don't care who I am. But just have that posture. And actually, that's the posture we should keep our entire Christian life. Paul said this. The Apostle Paul says, if any man thinks he knows anything, let him know this, that he doesn't know anything like he ought to know. I mean, that's the Apostle Paul. So you always keep with this a posture of, Lord, there's so much more. And I just want to learn from you and so forth. Okay. So that's really important to have that, that preparation of the heart to say, Lord, I'm, I'm available to hear you. I want to hear you. I want to see things that maybe I don't see. Um, and that's what makes it so exciting. One of the, the secrets, I think, of seeing unseen realities is... This whole thing about sin. It's what Craig was talking about. How we're born in sin. We're born with the power of sin. And sin in us as, a, as a, just a human being before Christ blinds us. It's part of, it's part of our, our nature as a fallen human being to be blind to spiritual things. We're like kittens born blind. You know... Um, the scripture says that when Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that their eyes were open. And their eyes were open to their nakedness that they had never seen before, never, rec- never was aware of it before. The enemy wanted to open their eyes to their nakedness. What the enemy calls enlightenment God calls blindness they were blinded to God and they opened their eyes to themselves and that's how the whole fallen race is is stuck in this blindness to God and and absorbed with themselves and with each other the real sin in the garden of eden was not that they were trying to be like God that's taught in many circles that that's the real sin they try to be like God but that's really not the sin in the garden of eden because God wanted them to be like him he made them in his image you know david said when i awake in thy likeness o lord i will rejoice so god wants us to be like him but the problem in the garden was that the enemy tempted eve and adam to try to be like god without god he said look You don't need God. If you knew what he knew, if you knew the knowledge of good and evil, right and wrong, you could do what he does. You could be like him without him. And so what happened when Eve and Adam ate of that tree, they took into their body this this deception, the power of sin, the mystery of iniquity, which began with Lucifer. The mystery of iniquity is when angelic being Lucifer decided he could be like God without God. That is the seed of iniquity. So when he decided to try to be like God without God, that's when he was cast out and out of heaven and and from his place as one of God's angels. He takes that lie to mankind and then now we see the whole human race has it in their heart in their deceitful heart, which we all had at one time, no longer in Christ do we have a deceitful heart, but we did have a deceitful heart at one time in Christ. We have the whole human race with this idea that I don't need God. Basically, I don't need God. And so, like the city of Babylon, we build towers to heaven to make a name for ourselves, forgetting that without God we are nothing. Jesus comes on the scene with a complete different divine nature, a divine DNA. And and when Jesus comes, he says, apart from the Father, I can do nothing. Apart from the Father, the Son can do zero. So what the believer has now is a new nature, a new creation has been raised in Christ. And so now we have at the very core of our being 
a whole new way of living in that we sense a complete dependence on God and that without Christ, we can do nothing. And that's how God can live through us and manifest his glory through us as his sons and daughters. But anyway, getting back to the kingdom. We are born blind and we need to see. And I think the key to seeing the unseen is this issue of sin. The scripture says in Hebrews 10 verse 20, chapter 10 verse 20, that the flesh of Jesus, the body of Jesus, was pictured in the veil that's in the temple. The the big thick veil that was in the temple. And his very body was pictured in that veil. Or the veil was a picture of, of the Lord's body. When Jesus died on the cross, the scripture says when he gave up the spirit, when he died, the moment he died, the veil rent or tore from the top to the bottom. The father tore the veil. Now what does a veil do? A veil keeps you from seeing something. That's what a veil does. It just hides something on the other side. You can't see it. And so what God is saying here, saints, it's so cool. What God is saying here is that the, the death of Jesus removes a veil so we can see beyond the veil. Well, what does that mean, though? What, is, what are you saying? What, what does the death of Jesus mean? The death of Jesus means that sin has been taken away. In other words, believing that God has taken your sin away. Believing that God is no longer counting your sins against you. For God was in Christ reconciling the whole world unto himself. Not counting their sins against them anymore. In this new covenant, I will be merciful to all their iniquities. And I will remember their sin no more. Not only does an unbeliever need to hear this to get born of the Spirit, but believers need to hear this so they can walk in the fullness of the Spirit and not be hindered by thoughts that are not of God, by condemnation that is not of God. Saints, this is so powerful. When you believe and grow in this confidence that when you blow it, when I blow it, when I sin, That God is no longer counting that sin against me. The veil remains open to see. To see. One of the biggest wrong teachings in the body of Christ comes from that famous verse, 1 John 1.9, that we're all familiar with. 1 John 1.9 is a verse that simply says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That verse has been used by teachers and preachers for a long time as the so-called bar of soap for the believer. So that when we sin as a believer, we can confess our sins and name our sins and, and put them back under the blood, so to speak, and get back right with God and get back in fellowship with God. And then if we sin again, we need to do the same thing again and name our sins and confess our sins and get washed again of our sins so we can get back in fellowship with God. That thinking is from the pit of hell. It's satanic. It's wrong teaching. Nowhere, nowhere do the apostles teach that a believer needs to continually name their sins before God to stay in fellowship with Him. Never. In fact, Jesus instituted the the covenant meal for the very purpose of telling the saints under the old covenant, Hebrews says, there was a remembrance of sin year by year, day by day, but under this new covenant, there'll be a remembrance of sin. Of me. Many times the covenant meal is shared in bodies in, the, in churches, and it's it's a the way it's done is is terrible. Basically, it's like, okay, let's confess all our sins up to date before we take the bread and drink the wine. Missing what Paul was saying in that passage about eating and drinking unworthily. 
What Paul was saying in that passage in the Corinthian letter was that they had in the Corinthian church unbelievers They were coming with the believers for the agape feast. And the, these unbelievers who had not entered into the covenant through faith were enjoying all this free food. And they were enjoying the time, the very awesome moment when the believers would have the covenant meal together. And Paul was saying, I hear there are heretics among you. There are unbelievers among you. That's in the passage. I hear there are unbelievers among you partaking of the covenant meal. He said, you should examine yourself. And what does he mean by examine yourself? He says it in the second Corinthian letter, what he means by that. He says, examine yourself. Know you not. Christ is in you, lest you are a reprobate. See? The examination Paul's talking about there is exam- everyone should examine themselves to see if they're born again. Examine yourself to see if you're really a believer before you take this covenant meal because you drink judgment to yourself if you're an unbeliever eating and drinking of the covenant meal which is testifying against you, not for you. See, if you're a believer and you eat of the bread and drink of the wine, it testifies for you that you are His that you are righteous, that He has taken away your sin, that you are holy and blameless, and it has power to even heal the body. The covenant meal is powerful to bring healing and life. But that same covenant meal is so powerful, it can bring death and judgment to the unbeliever who would try to, to join a church by just showing up and eating the free food. That's what was going on in the Corinthian church. That there were this, the, uh, the unbeliever was partaking of a covenant meal that, sin, that, that testified that man is a sinner, that man must be judged. But for the believer, it was good news that my judgment is over. Passover. Judgment has passed me over because of Christ. So it becomes life to the believer, but death to the unbeliever. For we are a sweet-smelling savor, an aroma unto God, life to the believer, death to the unbeliever, because we actually, even though we're walking in love and mercy, we testify that they are in death and they need life. Does that make sense? So it's just so important to realize that 1 John 1.9 is simply talking about, John is just simply putting a simple statement out there that if you are if you will agree with God, confession means agree with God. If you agree with God that you're a sinner, God is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. How many times does God cleanse from all unrighteousness? Only once. Only once. Uh, John describes the person he's talking to there. He says, this person says he has no sin or he has not sinned. Paul says, if any man says he has no sin or he has not sinned, speaking about an unbeliever, he says that man is deceived, has not the word in him, has not the truth in him, and he's calling God a liar because God says we're all sinners. That's not a description of a believer, saints. A believer is not described as one who is deceived, who has not the word in him, who has not the truth in him, and who is calling God a liar. In fact, in 1 John chapter 5, that same phrase is used by John when he says, they who call God a liar are those who have not believed in the Son of God. The same phrase by the same author in the same letter. Those who have not believed on the Son of God are calling God a liar in the same letter. The same phrase. He's not talking about a believer in 1 John 1.9. He's talking about simply someone who needs to come to Christ. And we have used that verse to keep the church in bondage and keep the church sin conscious. Do you think something as important as that, if that were true, that, if, that it was important and necessary for me to name my sins every day, every hour, in order to stay in fellowship with God? Do you think something as important as that? Because that's fellowship with God we're talking about. Do you think something as important as that would have been mentioned mentioned at least once by the Apostle Paul? Once? At least once? Paul, you left out something very major here. He never mentions one time in all of his letters in one third of the New Testament, never Paul mentions one time to the believers, and he had plenty of opportunities with the Corinthian church. Never once did he say, unless you name your sins and confess your sins, you are out of fellowship with God. 
Not once. Not once. How about Peter? Maybe Peter would have mentioned it once. Peter? Peter? Not once. In fact, Peter says this. Peter says, if a man is not bearing fruit, if a man is not bearing fruit, he has forgotten that he was once purged from all his sin. We say, we being the church in general these days, we say a man is not bearing fruit, he's probably got unconfessed sin in his life. Peter would say, no, no, no. Peter would say the reason this guy's not bearing fruit is because he's forgotten that all his sins have been taken away. I tell you, saints, it is counterintuitive. It is not like men think. Religion loves to keep you in sin. Religion thinks like that. Religion acts like that. God is not like religion. God has done something so awesome that when you see it, the veil opens. And you see your father as he is. You see yourself. I love the song Craig sang that we find out who we are by seeing who you are. Because we have been created new in Christ Jesus as a new creation. I tell you, it's just so, it's so powerful to see what took place in the taking away of the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God who has taken away the sin of the world. See, it's not just that that sin has been taken away from us, but His own righteousness has been given to us. God made it this way. Do you realize you cannot, you cannot, you cannot have the righteousness of God given to you and still your sins be counted against you? It's impossible. You cannot balance that. If you have in your vocabulary that we need to balance things in the Christian life, I'm telling you, saints, you're missing something. You don't balance. Search the scriptures and see where the apostles talked about balance. You won't find the word balance. You don't balance law and grace. You don't balance life and death. You don't balance righteousness and sinfulness. You don't balance anything. That's the mental, that's the natural way of thinking. We can't have too much grace. We need a little bit of law to keep people in check. I've heard people say, well, we can't give that grace message to the young believers. They need the law as a safety net. You know what God said about that? He said to Israel, going into the promised land, he said, you who did not believe that I could bring you into this promised land filled with milk and honey. You will not enter, but your children will enter. The children that you said would be gobbled up by those giants. I will bring your children in because you didn't believe into the land filled with milk and honey, which is Christ. No, you don't balance law and grace. You don't balance death and life. You don't balance anything. It's a matter of a new creation. Paul says nothing matters but a new creation. And in a new creation, it's a whole new reality. I know some people, sometimes they get concerned about all the the admonitions that Paul gives in his letters about behavior. Because he talks about don't steal and, and stop lying and be a good uh, husband and good wife and and do good. And people say, well, see, he's got all these words here that seem to be commandments we have to keep. How do you balance? Well, there's no balance, but what it is, Paul always begins his letters by telling us what is. He, tar- he starts by talk- talking about a seed, a new reality, a seed and a tree that grows. All Paul's doing, saints, in the latter part of his letters, he's describing what this tree looks like when the life is bearing fruit. He's just describing this is how it looks. And he always connects behavior to the unseen reality of the new creation, always. He always says, Put off the deeds of the old man. 
who died, like Craig said, the old man died, and he's not dying. Craig's got it exactly correct. He's not dying gradually. The old man doesn't die gradually. We died when Jesus died, if our faith is in him. So what Paul is saying there is, put off the deeds of the old man, for he has died. That's no longer who you are. Put on the deeds of the new man, because that's who you are. In other words, let this fruit come forth. That is the real you. So all these admonitions at the end of his letters about behavior, Paul, believe me, Paul is not setting up another Ten Commandments. Paul, the champion of grace, the champion of who, who proclaimed with all power that the Ten Commandments were the letters of death engraved on stone, who proclaimed that the, that the law is the strength of sin. When's the last time you heard a message preached that the law is the strength of sin? Why don't we hear messages that say what Paul said, that the law is the strength of sin? Because we don't understand the gospel. Because there's a confusion, there's a mixture. What men call balance, God calls mixture. And so, what Paul is simply saying is that when you have the life of Christ, you're going to bear the fruit of Christ. And this is what it looks like. You who have lied, stop lying. That's not who you are. Put off the deeds of the old man. You who are sinning in any way, that's not who you are. Put that off. Put off the deeds. Put on the deeds of a new man. Now, he doesn't just leave it there. He doesn't just say, just put off and put on, because that sounds too easy. So he tells us a secret. A secret of how the new man brings forth fruit. And I want to share that. I didn't share this yesterday. I touched on it briefly, but not in detail. But I want to share a few thoughts about the secret of God, how he transforms us, how he allows the new you to come out and to be seen. Jesus said, let your light so shine that men would see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. The invisible reality within must get out. That's how God is glorified, that you might bear much fruit to the glory of God. See, this is not just in word only. The kingdom of heaven is not in word only. It's not just theory. It's not just doctrine. It's in power to change lives, to change what you do. For God is at work in you both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. That verse says, we work out our salvation with fear and trembling and that word fear and trembling in the Greek is the same Greek word used in the Corinthian letter where Paul says, I was with you Corinthians in weakness and fear and trembling. Not trusting in my own ability to speak, but in the power of God that your faith would not be in, the, in men, but in the power of God. So what he was saying there, Paul was saying there, I was with you in weakness and with no confidence within myself. That's what the Greek word means there. Weak, fear and trembling there in the Greek means with no confidence in myself. Not fear of God's judgment as, it, as that verse has been taught in Philippians. Not fear of God's judgment. But fear and trembling in the sense that I have no confidence in myself to pull this off. And the scripture says, work out your salvation. Work out means to let it manifest. Let it manifest. Not work for it, but let it manifest. With no confidence in yourself, for it is God who is at work. Not you. God who is at work in you, both to will it, to desire it, and to do it, according to his good pleasure. Isn't that awesome? See, this is the rest, the rest that we've been called to. Jesus said, you know, the Pharisees used to use this phrase, yoke yourself up to the law, commit yourself to God's commandments, to keep his commandments, yoke yourself up to the law. Jesus took that phrase and said, no, take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. Learn what yoke I'm yoked up to. I'm not yoked up to your law. And he referred, it to, to, he referred to the law as their law. Because the law is for the natural man. It's for this world. It is not for the sons of God. The law is necessary to be in this fallen world, to keep order, to keep peace, to bring fear of judgment, to bring fear of, 
uh, evil being uh, condemned, and that's a good thing. The law is a good thing. I'm a lawyer. I'm an attorney. So I'm not saying the law is bad. The law is good. The law is good for the fallen world, but it's not for you. We know this, Paul says, that whatever the law says, it only says it to those who are under it. It doesn't speak to you anymore. We are under grace and not under law. And so, I'm not saying law is bad. Law is good for the fallen world. It's good. It's, it's necessary. If we did not have law, if there was not fear of judgment, then people would be ransacking your home every night. Law was for fallen man, so man, there would be some peace in the world. But God has transcended this world for us. We don't live by law. We live by his life. And his life carries with it the light of God. It's the love of God. And that love fulfills everything the law was trying to get you to do. So as we walk in that life and that love, we don't just not steal. We don't just not kill people. The love in you does far more than what the law says don't do. The love in you says, instead of not stealing, the love in you says get a job and help your family, take care of your family, and give to people in need. The law never did say that. The law just says, don't steal. Just don't steal. The law says, don't kill anybody. But the the love of God in you in this new covenant says, not just not kill anybody, but be a blessing to people. Forgive. Have mercy. See? It's so ridiculous for for believers to think the law is is, is, something to look to. I hate this saying that I hear mainly in Reformed teaching circles and Calvinist circles that we need the law as a rule of life. No, you don't. If you think you need the law as a rule of life, then you've just taken into yourself the very strength of sin. For the law is the strength of sin. No, you don't need the law as a rule of life. What you need is a revelation of Jesus for a rule of life. To see him as he is makes you become like he is. Your rule of life is not a law, not a letter. We serve him no longer after the oldness of the letter, but after the newness of the Spirit. We see him in all of his glory. We see the glory of God in the face of Christ, and we are looking at him as if in a mirror. We're seeing ourselves, for we are as he is now in this world. It's awesome. Jesus is so much superior than the law, my God. Moses put a veil over his face so the people wouldn't see that his face was fading They couldn't see that Moses' face was fading. And Paul says, to this day, those who boast in the law, who love the Ten Commandments, who love to preach law, they know not what they do, thinking that the law is the way. And Paul says, they are like those who don't see that Moses' face is no longer shining. And a veil remains over their minds. To this day, in the reading of the Old Covenant, that's the Apostle Paul preaching this. He was bold. I tell you, saints, if you're not passionate about this, you're not seeing it. Because when you see this, you cannot but speak what you've seen and heard. The first disciples did not get together and form an evangelistic group to make plans to uh, spread this good news, they were out of control. They were out of control. They couldn't shut up. They couldn't shut up. Even being threatened by the authorities, they couldn't shut up. I'm telling you, when the true gospel of grace is understood and the revelation of Jesus is really seen and what God has done in raising a new creation joined to him, Righteous as God himself as a gift. I tell you, he who has received, the scripture says, this abundant grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Christ Jesus. You become, you become a magnet. People are lost. They're in despair. They're in debt. They're fearful. Jesus said, as we approach the end of this age, that men's hearts will fail them for fear for what is coming on the earth. We see in the news every day 
horrible decisions being, being made by our leaders and horrible things happening in the world. And we see these things and we see the financial world on the brink. We see all of this and men's hearts are failing them with fear. But Jesus said his own, his own would not be afraid. He said his own would see these things and know that their redemption draws near because we're not of this world. We're not of this world. Pilgrims, strangers. We used to be of this world, but we've been born from above. Now every believer has the same hometown. We all are from New Jerusalem above, born of His Spirit. A new creation. So no matter what this world throws at us in the months to come, in the years to come, I'm going to tell you this, saints, it's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. The Scripture says that evil men would wax worse and worse. That this world is going to get worse and worse. Don't believe the teaching that somehow we're going to transform the world and the whole world is going to have the kingdom of God and we're all going to be just wonderful here on earth. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said that it was, it's going to be so bad, the level of deception is going to be so bad that he had to cut, he will have to stop the days, cut the days short, lest even his own people get taken up with it. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said that men would see, see the waves roaring. He's talking about tsunamis. He's talking about the earth. Tsunamis in the earth. He's talk, he said, men shall see earthquakes on the increase, which we've, we've seen for the last 30 years. I'm telling you, saints, it's all, it's all coming to an end. It's all coming to an end. He is closer to return, his return than when we first believed, Paul said. And certainly closer than when they first believed. 2,000 years have gone by. The apostles never forgot to teach the second coming of Jesus. He's coming. He's coming. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And the, and the bride says, all who are thirsty, come and drink. Without cost, freely, come and drink. He's coming. But we are not afraid. Because we really are not of this world. It's, that's why it's so important to have your roots down in that unseen reality of who God is and who Christ is in us. That we might be rooted and grounded in Christ and built up in Him, not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. No longer wondering if God loves me. There's so many Christians out there right now that still doubt that God loves them. It just shows to me that there's a mixture in their thinking of law and grace that is keeping them from seeing. The veil is, is closing on them and they're not seeing what they should see, what God has given them to see. Let me just say this, that when Jesus came, this is so awesome, when Jesus came, he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the word repent just means to change your mind. And many times we think the word repent means something to do with sin, but it has nothing to do with sin in that passage when he says, change your mind. And I tell believers all the time, I said, we should start using that word repent all the time to, to take the religious thinking out of it, the religious connotation out of it, because it just means to change your mind. So when you say repent, you should say something like, you know, we were going to go to McDonald's, but we repented, and now we're going to Olive Garden. You just change your mind. If Think about this. Put your definition of repentance in the verse that says God repented in the book of Jonah. God repented. See, God didn't stop sinning. God wasn't sorry for his sin. God didn't uh, commit his life to Jesus or <laughs> to himself. <laughs> no, God just changed his mind and decided not to destroy Nineveh. He, God repented. He changed his mind and did not destroy Nineveh because he saw their, their repentance. 
So the word repent simply means to change your mind. So when Jesus said repent or change your mind, the next thing he he says is in reference to the change your mind statement. So what is God asking us to change our mind about? The very next statement says, change your mind for the kingdom of heaven is at hand or within reach. The good news of the kingdom of heaven is that heaven has come to earth. Heaven, we could not go there Heaven came to us. This is awesome. In other words, you've thought the kingdom of heaven is coming hundreds of years from now. Or you've thought that the kingdom of heaven is way up in the heavens and we're sinful men can never reach that. Jesus says, change your mind about that. The kingdom of heaven is not only at hand, it is within reach. It is not only here now, but you can touch it, you can enter it. For they who are born of the Spirit enter into this kingdom. The kingdom of heaven does not come like men think, Jesus said. It shall be within you. By the gift of the Holy Spirit, this other world enters you and you enter it. The scripture says you have been translated from the kingdom of this darkness into the kingdom of the beloved son. Not when your body dies. Now, the moment you believe, the moment you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, you are translated from this world into his world. And now you walk the earth as a creature of two realms, even as the son of God. As Jesus said to Nicodemus, when Nicodemus was trying to put all this together and didn't, was trying to understand, and Jesus said, let me think, um, Oh, he goes, I know, Nicodemus, think about this. It's like the wind. You can't see the wind, but you can see the effects of the wind. Nicodemus says, I don't get it. Um, It's like this, Nicodemus. It's like you've got to be born again. You've got to be a whole new person. Like like a, a baby who gives, a mother who gives birth. You have to be born again. How can I enter my mother's womb and be born? I don't get it, see? And then Jesus says, oh, Nicodemus, if I tell you earthly things like the wind and human birth, if I tell you these earthly things to try to explain to you, how can you hear if I tell you these heavenly things straight up? And then he says, shall I ascend before you, Nicodemus, into the heavens where the Son of Man is now? overload. You see, you and I have been granted a great door. Jesus said, I am the door. I am the door. My sheep go in and out and find pasture. You, saint, are a creature of two realms. You are no longer from below, but from above. But you walk the earth as his witness of that reality. That's why he left us here, to be his witness of that reality. For they shall testify to the revelation of the kingdom of heaven in this reality to all the nations, and then shall the end come. We live in the Spirit continually. Some people teach that when you're, you know, when you're obeying and doing good, then you're in the Spirit, but when you sin and you're not doing good, then you're not in the spirit, you're in the flesh. That's not true. Paul said that the believer is always in the spirit because Christ is always in you. We just need to learn how to put off the deeds of the old man and put on the deeds of the new man. It's a process. The only process in the Christian life is the renewal of the mind. That's the process. There's no process involved in you becoming more and more righteous. There's no process involved in you becoming more and more holy. There's no process in you becoming more and more a son of God or worthy to be called a son of God. The moment you believed on Jesus, you received the gift of the Holy Spirit. Paul says in Ephesians, after you believed, after you believed, the Spirit was given to you. The Spirit of the Son crying, Abba, was given to those who believe. It is for anybody and anybody can believe. The scripture says, whosoever will shall call upon the name of the Lord and they can believe and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For Jesus said, the day is coming that even the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God. Even the spiritually dead shall be able to hear the voice of the Son of God and live. Why? Because the power is in the word itself. 
It's not doesn't require the person to have anything in himself. It's in the word itself that brings light. In thy light we shall see light, the scripture says. When you preach the gospel, it's powerful. It's a powerful sword that comes and reveals. And then the person can receive light from that word. And they can choose to believe or not believe. Today, if you hear my voice, harden not your heart, the scripture says. Anybody can believe. We're made to believe. Humans were made to believe like fish to swim and birds to fly. We were made to believe. Humans believe. You believe things all the time. You just got to believe the right thing. You believe all the time. You believe that chair is holding you up, will hold you up so you sit down. You believe your car is going to start in the morning to go to work. You don't even think about it. You believe all kinds of things. We're made to believe. Humans were made in his image to believe. Dogs don't believe. Animals don't believe. They have instincts. They have uh, feelings. But they don't believe. They can't believe. Only human beings can believe. You were made to believe. Faith is no big deal. We're made with faith. God has given faith to every man or the ability to believe. But man must choose to exercise that faith in his son. Man must choose to believe in his son. God will not believe in his son for you. Jesus looked over Jerusalem and wept over Jerusalem. And said, how often, how often, Jerusalem, I would have gathered you, like, gathered you like a mother hen gathers her chicks. How often I would, I would have. But you would not. You chose not. He's weeping because he sincerely wanted them to believe. Jesus is the express image of the Father. To see Jesus is to see the Father. That's the Father weeping over his own. Only a remnant believed. And Jesus said, now the enemy, your enemy will follow and surround you and you will be destroyed because you did not recognize the day of your visitation. So we had this great door that's been opened to us, saints. This great door. Jesus said, I open a door that no man can shut, and I shut a door that no man can open. What door did he shut? He shut the door of the old covenant that was a a covenant for just a small people, for the Jewish people for a season. The law had a beginning at Sinai, and it had an end at the cross. For For a little parenthesis of history, for a small group of people, the Jewish people, the Ten Commandments were given to the Jewish people from Sinai to when Jesus died on the cross, and the veil of the rimple veil of the temple was written too. That's, that little small part of history is what the law is for. Why on earth will you, uh, are you as a Gentile trying to get under a covenant that was not, not even for the Gentile and that is not even recognized by God as a valid covenant? God does not recognize the old covenant of law. He does not recognize the Ten Commandments. Romans 10 says that they, the, the Jew went about trying to, to, to establish his own, their own righteousness by the law and refused to submit themselves to the righteousness which is by faith. The, the scripture says the Jews were looking for righteousness and did not find it by, by the law. And the Gentiles who weren't even looking for it found it because they believed. Oh, Moses' face is no longer shining. You're looking at an empty, empty place. God no longer recognizes it. Oh, but Lord, look at this temple. Isn't it beautiful? Look at how awesome this temple is. Not one stone shall be laid upon another. This will all be torn down, for I shall raise a new temple in three days. You are the living stones of that temple. Habitation of God by the Spirit, Paul says. Moving throughout the earth. A living, organic temple that is invisible to the eyes of men, but not to God. A great door has been opened to us. We have entered through Christ. Jesus said, He is the way, the truth, and the life. The way meaning He's the door. He's the door to the Father. The truth in the Greek, the word truth means reality. He's the real, not shadows that the law gave, just shadows of the good thing to come, but the real. He's the real. 
Not copies of the heavenly things, but the heavenly things themselves. He's the real. And he's the life. He is what sustains the new reality. He is the source. He's the life. He's the door that brings us to a whole new reality within here. And he's the life that sustains it as we rest in him and bear much fruit to the glory of God. Jesus said, only one thing is needful. Only one thing is needful. Mary and Martha were talking. Martha was complaining that Mary wasn't doing much. And Martha was very busy. Martha, Martha, Martha. Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet, beholding him, listening to him. And Jesus said to Martha, 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 you're worried about many things. But really only one thing is needful. Mary has chosen the one thing that is needful. Which is simply to rest in him. Behold him. Paul said, behold Christ in your inner man. Rest. It's a lost art in the body of Christ. How to behold Christ in our inner man. It's one of the keys to being transformed. We become that which we see. The mind is renewed as we behold him. Your new DNA as a new creation is wired such that as you see him, it is photo printed on the new man's mind so that it's manifested. Not laws to keep, but a son to look at. Behold the son. God's answer to darkness is not more laws. God's answer to darkness is not fear. God's answer to darkness is his son. Behold my son. See my son. I'm telling you, saints, it's powerful. When you are resting in Christ and you don't let the voices disturb you. Paul was adamant about those who were disturbing the body of Christ with legalism. Distorting the gospel of Christ. When you rest in Christ, Hebrews 4 says, He who has believed on Jesus has entered into the true Sabbath rest. For the true Sabbath is not a day of the week. It is a person. Christ is our Sabbath. And Hebrews 4 says, He who believes on Jesus has ceased from his own works as God did cease from his. Stop trying to be a Christian. You can't any more be a Christian by your efforts than a dog can be a human by his efforts. It's a whole new reality that must be lived by the life of God. Only God can be God. And that's the deception of the enemy, that you can do things without God, see? But Jesus comes and says, apart from my Father, I can do nothing. The works that I do are not my works, Jesus said, but my Father who dwells within me. The words I speak are not my words, but the words of my Father who dwells within me. My Father loves me, and He shows me all things, the Son says. And he has done a work where he has placed you and I inside of him and him inside of us. He goes, in that day you shall know. At the resurrection, he said, in that day you will know that I am in my Father and my Father is in me and I am in you and you are in me. For the Holy Spirit shall come and my Father and I shall make our abode within you. Oh, Jacob, Jacob, open your eyes. Jacob must awaken. Jacob opened his eyes and he saw God is in this place. And I knew it not. This is none other than the gate of heaven. This is the house of God. That's you, saint. You're a gate. You're part of a very big house. You are ageless. 
You are ageless. You are a wonder. You are the royal priesthood. You are the holy nation. You are the sons and daughters of God. Know ye not that you shall judge angels. Angels long to look into what you have. Peter said. For God saves not angels. But the sons of Abraham. The people who believe. The sons of Abraham refer to faith. Those who believe. Even though Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. And tasted death for every man. If a man does not believe. He shall die in his sins, and he shall face the judgment. But Jesus took our appointment with death and judgment, for it is appointed unto man once to die and face the judgment. Jesus took my appointment with death and judgment. He's only to die once. That was my appointment. He took it. And he took it bearing the sins of the world. That's my judgment. Jesus said, whoever believes in him shall not come into judgment, but has already passed from death and into life. What good news do we have to say? I mean, you can tell someone, like, how would you like to just go ahead and die, be judged for all your sins, get it over with, be resurrected, be joined to God, have God as your dad, live the rest of your time on earth without worrying about sin being counted against you, learn what God is like so you can experience his power to walk like he walks, Find a love you never dreamed possible that's coming to you and coming out of you to others. How would you like to live that life? That's the Christian, that's the good news. And when you die, oh, when you die, that's cherry on the, on the cake there. When you die, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Faith no longer needed, sight face to face. Isn't that awesome? Are you living as one who has been raised from the dead? Paul said you should. Are you living as one who has already died and been raised from the dead? Are you walking the earth as a resurrected one with the righteousness of God? You know, there's no barrier now because you're in. You're in. You can come boldly to a throne of grace to find help and mercy in time of need. A throne of grace. Throne of grace, not judgment, because you're his son, you're his daughter. The natural man says, this won't work. You got to have fear. You got to have judgment. You got to have law. Yeah. How's that working for you? The law is the strength of sin. God knows his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. When we believe and receive this awesome gift, this new dynamic happens in us and this new dynamic i think i've already mentioned it but just briefly it is when we behold in our inner man when we behold christ our focus should be on jesus himself when we read the scriptures jesus did this to those jewish followers of his he opened their understanding in the last chapter of the gospel of luke he opened their understanding that they might understand the scriptures they knew the scriptures but he opened their understanding of something different What did he open their understanding to? He opened their understanding to the truth that all the scriptures speak of him. Speak of him. And so when we read the scriptures now, it should be a refreshing thing to read the scriptures. I love the scriptures. I love reading the scriptures and seeing Jesus hidden in the scriptures. Seeing him as Noah's ark taking us through judgment to another world of which a rainbow is over saying no more judgment. I love reading the scriptures and seeing Jesus as the lamb's blood on the doorposts as we walk through a door to another reality. I love seeing Jesus in the scriptures where I feed on him by faith and see him in my inner man and believe this reality because something happens. Paul said it's like Moses who was beholding God in the natural, it was a picture of what happens in the spiritual. In the Corinthian letter, he says, this is what happens to the new believer. You're beholding God, and your face will begin to shine, and Moses knew it not. See, when you live by law as a Christian, or even as a non-Christian, but even as a Christian, if you live by law, you're checking your checklist off. And you're saying, I'm doing, I'm doing pretty good at this. I'm doing pretty good at that. And you, you have a, it, it, it's unavoidable. 
It's a self-righteousness that's unavoidable. You're, you're self-conscious of yourself. You're self-conscious of, of what you're doing, what you're not doing. And it comes across. You can see it. You can see it in, in this self-consciousness that's not free. But God's way is to remove yourself, your eyes from your nakedness. Don't look at yourself. Look at him. And as we behold him, the real you that is in him is manifested. And you don't know your face is shining. It's not a self-conscious effort to be a good person anymore. It's you're lost in his love. You're lost in him. You're lost in him. And people see it, but you don't see it. And you will bear much fruit. And no flesh can glory for that fruit. Because it wasn't because of your efforts. It was because I simply beheld him. As the blind man said to the Pharisees, I I don't know. I I don't know. I, I just know that I was blind. And now I see. And this man Jesus did it. And the Pharisees got really angry. Because the way of God is such that no flesh can take credit for it. You know, not many intellectuals, not many intellectuals believe this and see this. Not many. Jesus went to the uneducated Galileans and took disciples from the uneducated Galileans. He didn't go to the students in downtown Jerusalem under the rabbis who were in studying Torah. Didn't go there. He went to the uneducated Galileans. He went to the rednecks. He went to the mountain men. That's who he went to get his disciples. And when they were speaking before the Sanhedrin, the Sanhedrin who had all their papers and their learnedness, they noticed they spoke with great wisdom and they said, who are these unlearned Galileans? How can they speak like this? And, and they said, well, they, they have been with Jesus. Paul says, not many wise, not many noble, some, but not many. Not many wise, not many noble believe and see this because of their pride. But the humble shall see it and be glad. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Paul was a wise, Paul was an intellect. He was one of the few. He was an intellect. He was a brilliant man. Paul was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was up and coming among his contemporaries. According to the law, blameless in terms of how men saw him. He was, he was on the way. He was part of the intelligentsia until Jesus revealed himself to Paul. And Paul says, I count all that as dung. Dung compared to the revelation of the Christ. There's a real pressure given, put on the saints to make you feel foolish for believing the gospel. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. What was he saying there? He goes, I'm not ashamed to preach a message that gives man no glory. I'm not ashamed to say that God has given me righteousness and that the blood of Jesus has cleansed me from all sin. I'm not ashamed. Just wrapping it up, I just a few more thoughts. Saints, I just want to encourage you that there's a whole new world that God has brought us to. The Christian life is not like a rowboat where you're trying to row with your effort from one island to another island. The Christian life is not a motorboat where you have gasoline, you've got it figured out. I've got the formula. I'm going to use a formula. Because you're going to run out of gas. It's not your efforts, nor is it your formulas. The Christian life is waking up on another island. And the sun comes up. And you're already there. The Christian life is the light shining brighter and brighter. And you're saying, how can this be? I was there. Now I'm here I don't see it all yet, but the sun's rising. 
And as the sun comes up, I can make out things. It's getting brighter and brighter. Oh my God. Oh my God. Why wasn't I told this before? Oh my God. This, the half has not been told. Oh my God. The unsearchable riches in Christ. I am your father, God says. You are my son. You are my daughter. You are my heir. All things are for your sake. I love you. I see no spot in you. I see no wrinkle. Come, run with me. Run with me. Let us laugh. Be as a child and trust. Run with me. And we shall rest together. For all you are heavy laden and burdened, come unto me. Learn that I'm yoked up to my Father. He is my strength, not the law. Learn of me. Take my yoke upon you. The yoke I have with my Father. Take that same yoke through me. You can be yoked to my Father also. And live by Him. And you shall find rest for your souls. Lord, we just thank you for this time. Lord, I pray that the word spoken this weekend would bear much fruit. Lord, it is a word from another world. It is a word from the heart of God. For we have died with Christ. And yet we live. And our life is now hidden with Christ. Inside of God. Oh, Father. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much. May eyes be opened. May ears be opened. May we behold the new world that everyone can enter into now if they would but believe within a new kingdom. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you for listening to this message from Life Journey Church. Feel free to distribute this podcast, but please do not charge for it or alter it in any way. For more information about Life Journey Church, visit us at www.lifejourneyva.com.